As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of pseudo archaeology. Hello, and welcome to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 101. And tonight, on the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, we answer the mystery of the Piri Rees map. The mystery of which is why are we still talking about the Piri Rees map? So why am I taking the Piri Rees map on? Well, this is one... It happened to come up on my phone the other day. Again, as I told you guys, I Google this stuff every so often just to see what you may be seeing. You know, what we all may be seeing in our news feed or if we're just interested in archaeology, what comes up. And this map came up and it's also plays a part in the Eric Von Dynakin Chariots of the Gods book. And I thought I would just do a deeper dive on this because I didn't know a lot of the bits and pieces of this, but I'd heard about it for years, you know, and I, I knew it was silly, but I wanted to know the base of the silliness. You know, we got to have a little fun with our day. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this one on. And so what, what is this thing? I classify this as a Tharby dragons map, right? You got a lot of these from like the sort of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 centuries, you know, of differing scales of differing focuses or is it foci uh, based in different areas of the world. And you guys know the look of these, right? They're all wiggly. They're all multicolored. They look cool. There's images of like ships on them all over the place. And there are, you know, images of dragons and weird creatures. And there's little notes on the side. And, and it's all in like really good handwriting. You know what I mean? Right. It's 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 one of those. So as I look further, there were some big quotes that came up about this really often. Like it is full of advanced features. It actually may include faint fingerprints of a lost civilization. And it may have been made 
long before what we call history began. So I'm looking at these quotes and I'm like, all right, what's the deal? So the deal is this. The map was made in 1513 by a guy named, you guessed it, Piri Reese. And I got nothing against Piri Reese. He's a cartographer. He's, he's like a admiral of the Navy and a cartographer in the Ottoman Empire. So this is focused in the Turkish world. And he makes this map for the Sultan at the time. It's going to be a gift to the Sultan. And really, it's a synthesis of other maps. So he looks for maps from all over the world and he tries to make a world map to the best of his ability. Now, only a third of this survives today, but it actually is, I would say, the fun third <laughs> being basically focused in the center of the Atlantic Ocean, right, where we see the coastline of Africa, a little bit of Europe, and then, of course, uh, North and South America. So that's really the the part that we're we're looking at. Now, there's also other bits and bobs to it. Like the, the big thing that gets brought up a lot is when you look at South America, it curves around to the bottom of the map. So South America is basically, basically on the left-hand side. And then it curves around down, like the, the landmass continues and then is like along the bottom. And so that's the argument of an early depiction of Antarctica. Yeah, I know. Just let that one sink in for a moment. And as you look at it, Antarctica has like snakes in it and notes on it that says it's really hot here. So instead of going, hey, maybe it's just an extension of South America along the bottom because they used to do that all the time in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, right? They just kind of crammed it onto the piece of paper. Oh, no, no, no. It's not just South America curved around. It's Antarctica, my friends. And luckily for us, it's made from sources that are so far in the past. Antarctica was hot. Yeah, so we're not going to go with it just curves around naturally as South America, which is totally obvious if you actually take the time to do, I don't know, a scientific exploration of it and actually take a map of South America and kind of curve it around. And you'll notice that the topography matches South America as it goes down. It's just curved. You just jammed it onto the page as they always did during that time. Oh, I have to laugh at myself. I can't. I got We got to stay focused. So this is that classic pseudo-archaeology moment, right? Instead of going with the obvious explanation of like, dude, it's just South America curved around. It's like, no, 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 no. It's hot Antarctica. <laughs> uh, so what's so interesting about the, about the Piri Reese map, though, is that it does have coolness to it. This is not a fake, right? It's a map that a guy from 1513 tried his best to make. You know, good for him. And I feel his pain because he's not alone here in making maps that are difficult to make. I myself have done that. So 
I feel his pain in terms of my own map making history. And what I mean by that is sometimes in areas where, where Piri Reese is, this is difficult. And again, while Piri Reese made this map based on older sources and stuff, he also made it based on his own experience. He was a cartographer. So he made maps too, you know, so he's going to go with some of his own maps and then he's going to add to it. You know, he, this is a knowledgeable map maker who's doing his best, but you have to realize in 1513, what he had, he, he don't got no longitude and latitude lines, right? He has a compass on a boat as all these other guys did too. In the early 1500s, you got to realize 1513, what do we, that's only basically 20 years after Columbus, right? That's in Columbus's time, you know, so the Europeans are exploring the coast of the new world for the first time. So 20 years after Columbus, Piri Reese did did a good job. Again, I feel for him using very basic technology to do his best. And as a naval captain, you're going to want to have a good idea of the of the coast, of course, for the ships, you know, for seeing things like the outlet of rivers and this kind of thing. So when you look at early maps, the Pee Reese map included, you'll see that the where the rivers come out is sort of doubled down on on the map. It's made to look bigger than it really is, you know, just so the sea captains go, oh, right, because that's going to be a major thing to see to have an idea of where you are literally on the globe so he's trying to make something that that is is worthwhile now he's making this as a present for the sultan so uh he's gonna push the cool parts when you i would what I mean by pushing the cool parts is he's gonna extend certain aspects like for the new world coast the new world at this point is the new world. So you're going to make this look big. You're going to make it look impressive. You're going to drive the north part of North America way up to the top. And you're going to push the southern part of South America way down below and curve it around to the bottom just to go look at this big, huge, fat piece of land we found. And I'm giving you a present, O oh Lord, of the map of it. <laughs> right. So in terms of scale on this thing, it's all over the place you know yes they're trying to be good cartographers and make a make a map using kind of dead reckoning and compass you know um i believe oh what's that called i think it's called a portland chart that's a certain style of map making of the time it's basically just using magnetic compass and dead reckoning some distances and and doing your best, which honestly for archaeology isn't that far afield. It's not that much different than what we do to make our initial maps. You know, so for me, if I'm going to make a map, sometimes I only have very limited time as they did. Sometimes I'm just going to write this thing down fast using pace and compass, just a tick different than dead reckoning. And I'm going to try and put this map together. I only have an afternoon at an ancient Maya site, you know, I'm, uh, and that's it. The rains are coming. We need to go. I'm sure that Piri Reese and his ilk of the time had very similar experiences where it's like, dude, our, our boat is floating down this coast at a current speed. You, you better draw that sucker because you got half an hour. Same thing. You know, they're doing their best. So I, again, I, I feel for them. 
in trying to make this thing. But then on the flip side, they're taking their map they just made and then presenting it to the sultan. So if I had to present it to, I don't know, you know, the president of the United States, uh, you know, I'm going to try and make it look a little extra awesome. You know, that's a tough tough situation for Mr. Piri Reese and, and adding all the other maps to try and make this best guess at a world map with a commercial for himself and for the Sultan. <laughs> now, again, while I haven't had to make a commercial, I have had to make quick maps. And when we come back a little more about the difficulties of map making and the Piri Reese map. Hello, and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 101, The Mystery of the Piri Reese Map. And when we last left, I was talking about map making in general at this time and the difficulties of it, but also the limitations, you know? It ain't gonna be perfect. So what are the nuts and bolts of this map? Because people, people are curious. I, I get it. So the map itself is made on gazelle skin parchment. That's pretty cool. And it's pretty big. It's about, think of it as about three feet by two feet. So this is like a full-sized piece of gazelle skin. <laughs> and, and, and so on it, you have, you have these compass roses that you'll sort of see throughout. And those were used in the map making process. And you'll see the lines that, were, that are drawn with a straight edge out to kind of try and fit everything together as best as possible. And as we talked about before, you see, you know, you see Europe, North Africa, Brazil, and that Atlantic region. And I would say what what Piri Reese gets done the best is that area of like North Africa and the northern coast of South America. It's not bad. Like if you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, you will recognize it instantly as those two things. But then it's as you stretch up and down where it gets crazier right we talked before about one of the biggest difficulties of the map where you just have south america curved around through the bottom and people call that antarctica and it's just not like i'm not even gonna have that argument it's like oh kinkella but is it or is it not no it's a no it's one of those golden moments in pseudo-archaeology where it's a hundred percent no it's not and zero percent maybe <laughs> but the fun part is the truth the facts of the piri reese map right so yes we only have this third that survives but it's cool and it was made from previous sources where the synthesis of many other maps so what are those sources there's a lot of kind of arab and indian sources and by indian i mean the subcontinent of india and he also talks about portuguese maps ptolemaic maps and Realize that this isn't ancient, ancient Egypt. This is kind of Greek Egypt and post that that time. So it's not as ancient as that sounds when I say when I say Ptolemaic. It is a true try at a at a world map. But you also have to think of that time, the time of Columbus, where they think of the coast of North and South America that that east coast may also be as the east coast of asia they kind of conflate they still kind of conflate asia and north and south america so you kind of have this funky east coast of asia is also the east coast of north and south america kind of amalgamation and you really see that as the map stretches out on the 
on the far tips. The stuff they don't really know. They kind of slap it together. So there's like an island on there where people are like, is it Japan? Is it Cuba? The only way you're going to conflate Japan and Cuba is if you do something like this. And I got to tell you, it looks like neither. (laughs) And again, I laugh, but I feel for Piri Reese because, dude, I've been there. You know, there's other islands on there that are either made way too big, like the Azores. Again, scale. It's just fun with scale on this. You know, they're they're doing their best, but they're also trying to be like, hey, look, it's the Azores. (laughs) So they make them really big. Um, And there's one or two islands that you can't really play. So they're like, ah, obviously Atlantis. Oh, man. You know, it's extra islands are nothing on these maps. They're screw ups. Trust me. How do I know? I've done stuff like this. Let me explain. So in my map making history, I work a lot in the jungle and my dissertation was all on. Yes, it was on the cenotes, these pools of water in the jungle, but a huge part of it was mapping them in and mapping in miles and miles of jungle that nobody had ever mapped before with very rudimentary equipment. Not too horribly different than what Pee Wee Rees did. I used a compass a lot of times, right? Real bit. This isn't this isn't LIDAR. This isn't super great GPS. I had a GPS unit, but I could only get a point every so often because, well, the jungle covering is is thick. <laughs> so I feel for making these these maps in new places. Um I have had those times, as I explained before, where I only had a day and I just went for it. I tried my best. And what's so funny is is if I look at my map, there's a map I made of one of the major centers we were working at in Belize, this Maya site called Yalbak. My initial map, I made in a day and I did my due diligence. We had just gotten there. We had very little time. This is a Maya site with pyramids and a ball court and all that kind of good stuff. I did my best. And actually, the finished map from that day is in my master's thesis. But I look back on it. And now in the intervening years, I finished my master's thesis in 2000. In the intervening years, much better maps have been made at Yalbach. And if you compare the current map of Yalbach made using a transit, spending days and days and days out there, getting very exact measurements... It makes my map look laughable, right? You can see, you can look at it and be like, ah, oh, Keller, well, I can see you had a day, dude. You tried. And the basics are there, much like the Piri Reese map. When you look at it like, like the Piri Reese map in the center, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Africa. Oh, yeah, that's South America. On, on my map, you can be like, oh, yeah, that's the core of the site. But as you go away from like the core of the site where the obvious pyramids are, as you go outward, my map gets more and more off, you know, to the point where, There might be a pyramid on there, not major ones, but there might be a little one, a little structure on there that actually doesn't exist. You know, I know it is, especially once you go outward from the site onto my transect, which is a cut through the jungle. But as you get further and further away, now my data is good. I'm not here to totally throw myself under the bus. That happened last episode. But. I am here to say that there are ways where even if you're doing your due diligence, you can you can screw it up. And I noticed as I went over things again and again, or as people made a much better map in the intervening years of Yalbach, that you can actually find, you know, maybe a little structure or a portion of a structure that I drew that isn't really there. 
I had taken a wrong measurement, you know? Yeah, I was 99% right, but I was 1% wrong. And so instead of going, where's the secret of mound 36? Mound 36 that Andrew Kinkella mapped in. We went back. It's not there. Aliens? You decide. See how easy that is? You know what my dream is? Is if people from the future came back and looked at my old map from 2000 and went on a journey to find the missing map 36. And hopefully they never blamed me. They never used the truth and be like, yeah, Kinkella messed one up, man. You know, he took, he took the measurement wrong. Well, yeah, it happens. Right. Instead of that, they're like the mystery of mound 36. And they come to like interview me and I'm like an old man and I'm like, Oh, I remember it. Well, mound 36. Yes. It's not there. Taking no responsibility for my actions. That would be great, right? The mystery of Mound 36. It just has nothing to do with anything. It's just my, my simple screw up. A total, I want to see a mini series on it tonight. The search for Mound 36, full of the mysteries of the ancient Maya. Where is Mound 36? Well, it's in the pile of Andrew Kinkella's screw ups, is where Mound 36 is. And I bring this up. Just to show you that, hey, Piri Reese messed up a few times, too, and it's okay. And the world's biggest waste of time would be to double down on the mistakes on the Piri Reese map. And that's what pseudo-archaeologists always ask for. There should be more study on the Piri Reese map. No, there shouldn't. That's a waste of time. And they always say, it's the best map from the 16th century. And again, remember, this is made in 1513. That's early 16th century. It's the best map from the 16th century. No, it's not. Even Piri Reese made another one, and I think it was 1528 or something. But no, that is flatly false. You know, even Piri Reese would be like, hey, man, can we look at my one from 1528? Come on, I fixed a few things. Andrew Kinkella's map is the best map of the 21st century. No, it's not. <laughs> you see, you see this, this cherry picking of data and lack of like looking through this with, with a conscious data driven eye. It's just, that's all you need to do. So the, the Piri Reese map in terms of why we even know about it today is it is one of those things that, that's actually kind of cool where a portion of it Piri Reese said he took from the original Columbus map. And that could be cool. We all want to see the original Columbus map, right? It doesn't exist. And Columbus had to have made maps while he was coming to the New World. But it does seem that some of the other maps uh, use the knowledge from the Columbus map in later ways. And, you know, did Piri Reese have access to Columbus's actual maps? Probably not. There's this other map, a, an in-between map between Columbus and Piri Reese that Piri Reese probably used for some of the new world stuff. But since anything Columbus sells so well, there was this search for the lost map of Columbus, right? You're going to watch that show. And actually in 1929, they refound the Piri Reese map in Turkey. See, that's cool. 
You know, it had lain dormant for hundreds of years. Nobody cared. And then they refound it, you know, and, and, and sort of called it initially the lost map of Columbus, which it's not. It's an amalgamation of many maps. But, hey, it makes a great story, right? When we come back, what to do with the Piri Reese map? Hello, and welcome back to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 101. I am still your host, Andrew Kinkella, and I'm going to tell you what we should do with the Piri Reese map. So, what to do with this thing? Should we expose it for the lies it contains? Should we just kind of enjoy it? Should we forget about it? Should we be embarrassed and appalled that we even looked at it? No, we should just be chill with it. It's fun. It's interesting. It's the Piri Reese map. You know? Oh, this reminds me so much of Shroud of Turin, actually, where it's one of those stories where the facts of the case, again, this is not a fraud, right? This map was made in 1513. It's a real document. But the reality and the awesomeness of it is covered up by so much BS, right? That's what's a bummer. You know, I want to, I just want to enjoy it for what it is, which is just a someone's take on what the world looked like in 1513. And he tried to make it look cool for a sultan. <laughs> right? And that's fun. Let's enjoy that. What are we going to do with my MA thesis map from 2000? Should we run an expose on Andrew Kinkella fraud? Again, it's too late. I've already done it. No, you know, we enjoy it for what it is and for the time and for that time marker, like for the Shroud of Turin, the Shroud of Turin. What was going on in 1350? What was it like in France in 1350 where the Shroud of Turin is? That's what's so interesting, right? Same thing with the Piri Reese map. What's going on in 1513? What's the world like in 1513? What's happening in the Ottoman Empire of 1513? Let's get into Piri Reese's mind. You know, what he's trying to do, because he is trying to make a world map of some sort. He is trying to show everything. He is trying in a kind of scientific way to bring together knowledge. But, you know, it's not going to be, it ain't going to be perfect. Let's not cover it up with, is this Atlantis or not? Ugh, is this Antarctica or not? Ugh, right? It's not. And those stories suck. You know, let's, let's get away from our magical thinking a bit. We're so afraid to do that. You know? Let it go. Because magical thinking is a drug, dude, and it's a good drug. Ooh. You feel magical thinking when it hits the vein? Oh, it's, it's good stuff. Right? But... I think we're afraid in terms of what to replace it with. What are we going to replace our magical thinking with? And we can replace it with laughter and with good humor and with fun. We can beat the magical thinking at its own game, right? And we can also even learn from something like the Piri Reese map. We can, we can take some of its notes into our modern map making world. We really can. And I know that sounds weird. Before I get to that first, realize, you know, why besides cramming South America onto the bottom of the page, besides just the paper, why? Why put that lump of land at the bottom? You know, at the time, there was this idea of terra australis incognita, right? You can say it with me. 
Terra Australis Incognita. Which, if we translate, Terra is land, Australis is southern, Incognita, you guessed it, is unknown. Unknown southern land. So early mapmakers thought, okay, we have all these land masses in the northern hemisphere, right? Look at Asia, North America. You know, hey, there's probably going to be about the same in the southern hemisphere to balance it out. It makes sense. It's wrong, but it makes sense, you know, if we think the Earth has to somehow balance, which it doesn't. There's way more land mass in the north than there is in the south. So they would err on the side of caution by putting more stuff in the south. You know, I was like, oh, I have no idea what's down there, but there's got to be something. So, you know, we'll curve this around. Yeah, close enough. Good enough for government work. That's what they're doing. And I'm and I'm not saying that we should do that in our modern map making. Oh, yeah, we'll just curve the stuff around the bottom. No, 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 no. What I am saying gets in the philosophy of map making. As I tell my students, map making really is at the end of the day, it's half facts and it is half art. Because we have to remember what we're making is intrinsically odd and intrinsically a little wrong. We're making a flat representation of a ball-shaped object, right? We are making a flat representation of a globe. So unless you're making a globe, you have to cut corners in some way. You have to kind of change, change things up a little. So my note for us of today in map making is not to do things scientifically incorrectly or, or not factually, but after you have the factual things on, do have a little appreciation for the art of it, meaning how it looks to others. I love GIS as much as the next guy, but sometimes GIS maps, they're a little boring. They really are, you know, and so... An eye for perspective, an eye for making things even multicolored. You know, you're not going to fault Piri Reese for his artistic style. There's a lot of art on that sucker. Again, it, it bows into the world of the wrong. We don't want to do that, but we want to have a feeling for that. You know, I, I do want a map that has a little bit of vibrancy to it. You know, give me both. I want a factual map that also looks good. You know? And that's okay. It's okay to do that. Just do me a favor and don't draw any dragons at the bottom. Or maybe do, if that's what the Sultan wants. And with that, I will see you guys next time for another adventure in pseudo-archaeology. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.